we're contemplating a world where there's like a Coke Pepsi duality in streaming. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, April 17th, which means it's Media Monday. Today, John Kelly joins me to talk about a bunch of buzzy stories percolating in the media. The Washington Commander's sale, the launch of the streaming service Max, Elon Musk's mopey interview with the BBC, and even a little Sean Spicer. Remember him? John and I dig into all of it. We'll discuss all that and more in today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life happy monday everybody if it's monday it's media monday i hope everyone has their taxes in order i'm joined today by the boss man john kelly john Mm. do we owe or does the government owe us at puck well, you know, um, as a corporation, we, we've handled our tax filings some time ago, <laughs> but um, you are uh, you are reminding me that I've got to uh, prompt my CPA to make sure that my extension has already been filed. But I'm sure that, um, that you've already done the same with yours since you're a very responsible guy. I'm not going to answer uh, that question about whether or not I filed, John. I do have a, a good friend now uh, in the South Bay is a tax guy, and I've never had a friend who is like a tax professional and you realize that their life, lives are sort of organized around taxes and like deferments. You know how like teachers are like really busy at certain points and they have the summer off. I just hmm. like haven't heard a peep from him for weeks and weeks because he's doing other people's taxes. John, today there's not really like a major, major media story I want to talk to you about, but there's a bunch of like small ones. So we're going to be doing a, a little rapid fire grab bag. We're going to talk about everything from... Ron DeSantis to David Zaslov to Magic Johnson. And I'll start with the latter. The Washington Mm. Commanders 
appear to have been sold, I don't think the ink is totally dry yet, to a group led by Apollo billionaire Josh Harris. Uh, Magic Johnson is part of that group. Mm -hmm. And Dan Snyder, who bought the team back in 1999, I think, for 800 mil, is selling it for six Bs. That's the most expensive NFL franchise. We take the position here on the powers that be that sports is media. What's your take on this sale? Yeah, we do take the position that sports, and particularly the Shield, the NFL is media, uh-huh. and um, and we don't care if few people outside of Media Monday, Superfan Peter Schrager, care about our analysis <laughs> of football. Um, a couple of thoughts. First of all, I don't know why, but I have a very lucid memory of watching the Redskins lose, I guess, in the divisional round in 99. That was the the stacked Redskins team. That North Turner was the coach. Dion, Bruce Smith, you know, sort of later in career, Dion and Bruce Smith. I think Brad Johnson mm-hmm. was the quarterback. Champ Bailey. And uh, Champ Bailey, little did I know, that was going to be the farthest that they ever would advance in the playoffs under Snyder rule. Just sort of a an extraordinary thing that I'm sure keeps Bill and Tressa Hamby up at night as um, members of the, of the DMV. Like, put this in perspective. Harris paid six billion, and he's you know I think been hanging around the hoop for the um, NFL for a while. He owns the Devils, he owns the majority of the, of the 76ers, and I think there was a lot of goodwill in the room to ensure that he was going to get a team. If it wasn't going to be this team, it was going to be someone else, and 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 maybe part of Bezos's um, inability to come through in the end and offer a bid was because he, he may have longer term visions also, and he probably doesn't want to um, he doesn't want to overpay because. Put it this in perspective: six billion for the Commanders. The Walton family, or a you know a member of the Walton family, bought the Broncos for four mm-hmm. billion and change a year ago. Matt Ishbo mm-hmm. just bought the Phoenix Suns for four billion. I know it, it, apples and oranges, but before the Waltons bought the Broncos, I think the biggest sale was David Tepper, also a private equity, really sort of the Gen two. He's Harris's generation private equity. Uh, Appaloosa paid two and change. For the Panthers, when they were being wow. forced in a quick sale because their owner had uh, made some very unfortunate comments. And so this is staggering. And part of me wondered all along, you know, I, I can't pretend to understand the mind of a success machine like Jeff Bezos, but I did wonder, oh, is he looking at this number and thinking, I just don't want to get hosed on this deal. I, I don't want to pay $6 billion for a team when I'm not sure it's worth that. He's going to have another bite of the apple, we think. With the Seattle Seahawks, Paul Allen's sister now owns the team. It's unclear mm-hmm. uh, if she wants to be a long-term holder. I think most people think that she's a seller. And there's a great narrative there for, for Bezos as well. Uh, we'll see if he's pushed up to, to 6.5 or 7 or if he can come in with a, a competitive bid that's slightly less than that since it's a less historic franchise than the Washington Football Club slash Washington Commanders. I, I can't wait to hear what Harris decides to rename the team. I just don't think Commanders is here for the long term. Yeah, I think it's it's okay to do one more rebrand here just to erase the ghosts of the last 20 years. Shout out to Teddy Schleifer, by the way, for driving couple sports news cycles with Jeff Bezos maybe being in and then finally being out on a on a commander's bid. He was leading ESPN.com the other day, which is any sports fans dream come true, even if they're covering more dorky stuff. Good job, Teddy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. moving on. Next question. Elon Musk gave an interview to the BBC. Rather sympathetic interview. Uh, at least he tried mm-hmm. to make it such. And he said that it's been, quote, painful running Twitter. Uh, and he's he's sad that people are attacking him. 
He said that there are only 1,500 Twitter staffers on payroll now, down from just under 8,000 when he took over. He says the business is on track. He said he really only bought it because he didn't think he'd be able to like avoid it after making his initial bid. What jumped out at you from this interview? He doesn't obviously do a lot of mainstream media sit-downs, but he did one here with the Beeb. What's your take? The choice of the venue, I think we still don't understand. And I'm curious to to learn more, as I'm sure we will, about why he made the selection of the of the BBC. Is is it a is it an FU to to American media organizations, you know, why did he not, for instance, uh, go with Joe Rogan uh, or, or some other sort of, you know, more um, free speech, absolutist, safe space? Uh, so I'm curious about that. And I'm sort of scratching my head about that. But I read it and did recall that during the height of the pre-boom Tesla era, so, you know, when they were when they were building their factories in Nevada and he was allegedly sleeping on the floor, uh, factory mm-hmm. floor overnight to rush the cars out at scale, he had some similarly loopy moments, and he also had a couple of emotional mea culpa interviews. And the one I actually remember the most was with the Axios show on HBO. I believe the interview was with Ina Freed, and Musk looked near tears, or and sort of incapable of expressing how much personal agony he put into the company and how much pressure he put upon himself to scale the company and sort of meet the commitment that he'd made to his board and to his investors and, and Wall Street. And it was a rare moment where I thought, oh, this guy's a human being, actually. And there mm-hmm. is a person behind here, a, an unusual person, and a person who who probably doesn't know how to ex- express himself constructively publicly, but does have feelings. And, and I, when I read this story, <laughs> I couldn't help but think of that Axios <laughs> interview. And I don't know, it seemed like largely two-third human to me. Like, yes, he he made a commitment to buy Twitter in what seems like a, a moment of peak now. And, and mm-hmm. he, without saying it directly, he made clear that he regretted it. Mm-hmm. But he also knew uh, and this is a wonderful thing about our country, he couldn't get out of it, you know. Um, he was going to basically lose the case in Delaware, his lawyers informed him, and he was going to be stuck with this thing, so he might as well take the path of, of least resistance. If he gets credit anywhere for anything, it's on, unfortunately, it's on this workforce point that you brought up, where he has shed a lot of debt and shown that you can run a version of Twitter at what is basically 15% capacity, and that doesn't mean that the service is going to have long-term staying brand power, but it's unquestionably something that I think CFOs are are looking at and, and Wall Street analysts are looking at when they when they do their analyses of the big tech companies. He also, by the way, what I, what I actually left the conversation thinking is, oh, this guy's not going anywhere, right? Like he is going to hold this company for a long time. He proved after the, the doldrum days with Tesla that he was committed to this and... Um, I think that he proved something to himself in that moment that he was invincible. So I'm a little worried about Mm. what a turnaround at Twitter could actually mean. All right, John, I'll take a quick break. But before we go, I just want to tell everyone that as we're taping this, John is at a lanyard digital media conference in Austin. Hopefully uh, you've enjoyed some Lone Stars at the Continental. How many bachelorette (laughs) parties have you seen in Austin since arriving? You know, Probably between 14 and 17, because I got here on a Thursday, and uh, but boy, I think through the weekend, you could add a zero to that. All right, shout out to all the girls named Maddie uh, at a bachelorette party in Austin this weekend. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Welcome back, everyone, to the Powers That Be. It's Media Monday, and we're doing a rapid-fire round of media stories with John Kelly, getting his take on the news. John, talked about this with Bellany on Friday's podcast about Max, which is the new streaming platform, yeah. Zaslav's Baby, combines Discovery Plus with HBO. You're going to have this highbrow content, this premium, premium, premium HBO stuff that you know we here at Puck love, Succession, Veep, etc., on the same platform as all the sort of lowbrow reality streaming stuff that gets a ton of eyeballs, obviously. Is this gonna work? Well, I think the outcome is the same if it does or if it doesn't. I appreciate the candor of our colleagues, both particularly Matt, that was a great conversation you guys had on Friday, and, and Bill's been making this point too. This is a plan to get to the next plan. Max isn't the end state. Max, Peacock or something, where there's such an overwhelming library of content that um, that there is a legitimate Netflix competitor that, that there's going to be you know a um, we're contemplating a world where there's like a Coke Pepsi duality in streaming. Mm. These Hulu conversations that are being had out in the open now are suggesting that Disney might be thinking about being a family friendly company. You know, th- there's a, a a real brand consideration there, and that there's not as much of an interest in investment in adult entertainment. It doesn't take a genius to wonder, is just Max or Max the the big next step that leads to a bigger next step, which is what if Comcast buys out Hulu? And what if there is a super company that then gets positioned to to take on Netflix? I, I don't think it's insane anymore to have this conversation out in the open. You know, there's like some risk. You know, you guys talked about Casey Bloys's comment about how this is not going to be some big content blob. It's the HBO chief saying that this is mm-hmm. that Max is not going to be a total Netflix competitor. But that seems like an internal distinction. Yeah. HBO has an incredible brand history and a, and a brand halo, but it doesn't make the output of content that is going to necessarily create a moat around that brand ad infinitum. I mean, you know what an HBO show is, but the crown could be an HBO show. 
Like Netflix mm-hmm. has shown that you can still mm-hmm. surface incredible prestigious work without any deleterious effect of like Floribama Shore. I mean, you know, we we make fun of Discovery and Discovery Plus by talking yeah, about yeah. like Dr. Pimple Popper, but there's like my 600 pound life, my thousand pound life. There's some show about like people's like foot corns. Like there's a lot out there that is going to push the the envelope a little bit. But um, but I actually think that when you guys were talking about Bloy's comment, I read that to mean that the smartest creators know that you can't put the genie back in the bottle here. That scale matters a lot. It's a key determinant. Volume is a key determinant mm-hmm. of value. And value is what is going to drive the needle for consumers. And they're trying to find a way to make peace with this and that they're going to try and push brand as much as possible. But I think Netflix actually has proven that even when you do mush the food all around the plate, you can still tell the difference between the the chicken and the rice and that Daz is going to do just fine. And it turns out maybe in two or three years that he'll have reached the culmination of what has basically been a 20-year journey um, in, you know, going from a tiny, tiny media asset and discovery to then picking up scripts and then WBD and then and then what's next. Certainly, the future is, is unreadable. I don't pretend to, to know anything, but boy, all the vectors seem pointed in that direction. All right, John, last topic. Tara Palmieri had a couple good nuggets in her reporting last week. Um, one of them is, and these are both sort of Republican-related, Sean Spicer, is leaving Newsmax. Tara referred to his show (laughs) as the, quote, rarely discussed political talk show, Spicer & Co. (laughs) Um, uh, His contract negotiations, according to Tara, apparently went south. The other thing Tara reported is that Ron DeSantis, who is not yet announced putative presidential candidate, is sort of thinking harder about media strategy right now, considering Trump has sort of blocked out the sun in the Republican media universe and they want to get more of his surrogates out on TV. You know, these two topics aren't totally related other than Trump being the through line, but Mm -hmm. is Newsmax going to be okay? Or is this a more of just an individual Sean Spicer issue? Well, we certainly want to pour one out for our brother, Sean Spicer. Rarely discussed, rarely viewed. I mean, this came up last week when we were chatting. It does boggle the mind to think back five or so years that this guy was on the podium in front of the American Free Press trying to tell people that open swaths of the mall were filled with people when they were very apparently filled with splotchy green grass and security guards. I mean, it's... um, Period. (laughs) It's... This is a redemption story for humanity on on some level. The funny thing about the cable business is that for a long time, you could make 99% of your money when 1% of the people were watching. And I I think that Newsmax came into the world to fill the void of of alt-right, alternative facts, of Fox annoyance. And it was picked up by cable distributors and that those carriage fees were enough to um, to pay the bills. And, and, and it's not like Sean Spicer was making Anderson Cooper money. So I'm definitely, as you know, we talk about the linear decline, which is our sort of like, you know, drink when you hear that term on this show. I'm definitely not bullish on the future of Sean Spicer type things, uh, Chris Cuomo type things. I, I actually just don't think that that generation of newsmaker had real influencer powers. I think that mm-hmm. they benefited more from their perch and their platform than they um, than they conferred uh, value to it. The thing that interests me the most about all this is something that, that Tara did write about last week, which is so much of the Republican 
primary, and we can sure we can say that DeSantis isn't a candidate yet, even though you know he 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 is in mm-hmm. in every uh, way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Comes down to this media war, and and Fox really does Fox News, uh, even with this uh, defamation trial, really does uh, appear to once again be the ground zero here. And outside of professional sports, the other thing that people roll their eyes when we talk about here at, at Puck and on this show is Jeff Rowe. And, you know, it seems like from an arm's length that Jeff Rowe is trying to convince DeSantis that that matters, you know, and that he has to get out there and get people out there to speak about him. And it is confounding to me. Most people, you know this better than I do, most people run for president because they want to be told how great they are. And Ron DeSantis is the only exception to that rule I've ever seen in my life. And there is this fun little sort of squabble, it seems, within his broader camp between the newbie people, the Jeff Rose and the former Ted Cruz apparatus, and then the Tallahassee people that have been managing his reputation for so long and want him to to keep his head down and look like he's above the fray. And the Tallahassee people just seem point blank wrong on this. They, they just seem naive, un- unprepared for the dynamics of, uh, of national politics, especially as, as Trump piles on. So I'm not trying to make a programming decision here, but I think maybe uh, Ron and Co. could be the great <laughs> three-dimensional chess solution here. Uh, I'm sure there's some FTC violations, but uh, we got to get that guy. Uh, Jeff, you got to get that guy in the air. Yeah, John, I mean, you mentioned Newsmax compared to Fox. I just looked it up. I think in 2022, Newsmax was averaging like 150,000 viewers, total day viewers, compared to 1.4 million who watch Fox. I mean, Fox is yeah. the main event despite all the bedwetting that happened over there at News Corp during the 2020 election when they thought people were going to flee to OANN or something stupid. But yeah, Crazy. I mean, look, this also, this this DeSantis thing confronts governors, especially from big states who run for president. We saw it with Bush. I saw it with Rick Perry. Uh, Massachusetts right. isn't a big state, but he saw it with Romney. Like, when you run a state, you think you're like a kingpin and like if if it worked for you in this gigantic state with all these media markets it's going to work for you nationally and national press is a little bit of a different beast whether it's ideological press or mainstream press and look we put a lot of emphasis on strategists and consultants in political journalism but you know DeSantis and his wife Casey are the ones who are making these decisions. They're the ones yep. plotting strategies. They're the ones that have to get better at this. I do think they, I've said this before and repeatedly on this podcast and the powers that be newsletter, but I think a lot of us take a pretty short term narrow view about the length of these campaigns. And like, there's probably some panic in the DeSantis world that they need to get out there and communicate more. Look, we're much less than a year away from the first caucuses and primaries like time is ticking but what's going to happen is DeSantis is going to announce he's going to get a ton of coverage they're going to fucking Mm -hmm. go to all the early states they're going to command the media for a few weeks and the Trump boomlet in the media that was up a couple weeks ago will come down and DeSantis will go up and then it's on DeSantis to maintain that heat and energy and not fade Um, and I think to do that you have to get in the race Get some batting practice, get some reps, get good at talking to people outside of, you know, fawning (laughs) right wing media in Florida and make your case to Republicans and then to the rest of the country. Um, And we'll see if DeSantis wears well on TV, if people actually like him or not, because he's talked about a lot in our little worlds, but he's still got to introduce himself to a lot of voters. All right, John, get your taxes done. I will talk to you in the Slack. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you there. 
Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Puck.